What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful song. What a beautiful reminder of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who submitted himself to his Father's will. And it's tough. Father, not my will, but yours be done. I will tell you that an aspect of that is, Father, make your will my will. Help me to want the things that you want, to desire the things that you have for me. And there's no better time to introduce a sermon with that than a sermon on children obey your parents, is it? And so let's have a word of prayer as we review and as we look into the Word of God together. Father, thank you for the truth of your Word. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that fills us and enables us to walk in obedience to you. Father, thank you for truth, a truth that does not change, truth that is eternal because it's of you. It's your Word that lasts forever. Father, we live in a world where the understanding of families and relationships and who we are as individuals is all out of kilter with what you have designed. And you call us to be distinct. You call us to stand true and faithful to your word and to your instructions, even when the culture in the world faces the other way and turns the other way. And so, Father, I pray that you'll give us wisdom and courage to know how to do this, particularly in the context of a family. In all things, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. We ask that you will speak to our hearts today. We turn our attention to you. It is in your name I pray these things. Amen. We've been talking about fights and fighting, and one of the questions that continually comes up is, should Christians engage in culture wars? There seems to be a real war out there. Now, we're going to take several weeks in June and deal with some very specific topics about how we as Christians live in the world, even though we are not of the world. We have been saved out of the world. We have been made new creations. We have been joined to a new family and our citizenship is in heaven. And that's going to be an exciting series. I would encourage you to come back as we, as we talk about those contexts. But today we've already talked about wives and moms from Ephesians chapter 5. And then we went to husbands and dads. And now we come to Ephesians chapter 6. And it is children. It is sons and daughters. And so I want us to recognize just a few things. Number one, uh, what we believe is, is based upon or is from is, is the instructions that we have from God. As Caleb read and as Caleb prayed so well a uh, few moments ago, our instructions come from the Lord. He teaches us what to know, what to believe, and what to embrace. Children are a blessing and a joy. Amen? Children are difficult and challenging. Amen? Uh, it's funny. God bless Suzanne and I with three kids, and they are a blessing indeed. We are well into the grandparent stage, and I can affirm the old saying that grandchildren are your reward for surviving your children. Okay, it's just, it's just a truism. I don't know of anything that can bring as much joy and excitement and pleasure while at the same time experiencing extreme frustration. <laughs> As you engage with raising children, children require love and patience and understanding and patience. They require time and energy and patience and attention and nurture and training and patience and patience. They are cute and sweet and totally depraved. Every child, like every adult, needs a Savior, everyone who has not yet met the Savior when my kids as toddlers would misbehave or pitch a fit in the presence of my dad, he'd just point and say, that's, that's the Adam coming out. That's the, that's the Eve coming out. We know that, as David said in Psalm 51, that we are 
shapen in iniquity, conceived in sin, and we need a Savior. And God, God gives us kids, we're going to get into this more in just a moment, to, to invest our lives into them, to invest His truth and His Word. When you have a child, this child is not a blank slate. This child is, has genetic influences from your family and your extended family, from your spouse's family and their extended family, and spiritually, they are the inheritors of Adam and Eve, as by one man sin entered the world, so death has passed on to all, for all have sin. That applies to children as well. Uh, one of my favorite pictures of one of my grandsons, Micah, is on the beach. It was at Folly Beach. It was great. We got to spend time with them, and Micah was just a little toddler. And uh, Micah, at that point in time, was picking up everything and putting it in his mouth. You know how little kids do? Just, just picking it up and putting it in his mouth. Well, he's picking up shells and putting them in his mouth. And his mom was like, Micah, no. And he smiles and he reaches in and picks up a shell. And the picture is Micah leaned over with a shell in his mouth, but his eyes are geared right toward his mom. Are you looking? Are you going to catch me? We know how, what, what is innate in us. We know who we are. Children are impressionable, and they are a gift from God. And raising kids, knowing how to feel about kids, knowing what to believe about children in this day and age is important. Every child is a life. Every child is a soul. Every child has a future. I've always loved my kids. I love talking with my kids. And I will tell you, I will brag on your baby, and I'll hold your baby. I'm a baby guy, but I like them when they talk. I like them when they can carry on a conversation. I like them... When there's someone to engage with, you never know what they're going to say. I remember Chrissy looking up at me one day and saying, Dad, do worms yawn? <laughs> when Danny was in elementary school, she learned the word actually in context. Actually, actually, actually. We heard that word in every sentence for about three months in my home. Actually, Dad. I think I would. Actually, Mom. She was great, good fun. Stephen was always into why and how. Stephen was like, well, why does the sunset come at different times? How does the car work? We crossed a bridge that said load limit, certain number. He said, how do they know? <laughs> Much joy. And parenting is hard. Ask Stephen about the first time we played catch together, but we don't want to go there today. <laughs> One of the things Suzanne and I talk about frequently are the blessings that God has given to us in our kids and in their spouses and in our grandkids, but there are many in our country and there are many in our world who have a very different view of children and childhood. We've seen what God has to say about wives and mothers and husbands and fathers. Today we're going to look at four simple truths that God has designed and wants, I believe, for children. Now this sermon is not only for those of you who are raising small children, it's for those of you who are raising older children, it's those, for those of you who have adult children. Honestly, it's for those of you who are children, that, that catches everybody, okay? Those of you who, uh, who have influence on others' children, it matters what we understand, what we know, what we believe about children. And there are so many different approaches to raising children today. Uh, but listen, we can't trust the latest fad. We certainly can't trust the latest politicians. We can't trust other educational systems or psychologists to tell you how to raise your kids or how to view kids as, as believers in this world. We go to the Word of God because God's our designer, God's our creator, God's our Savior. He is our authority. So I want to look at four goals for our children based upon this text today. 
And I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. I don't know if you like to fill in your blanks, but I'll go ahead and let you fill in your blanks. Uh, we want children who are treasured. We want children who are obedient. We want children who honor. And we want children who thrive. Amen? Th- those, those are the focal points. The first thing I want us to recognize that children should be treasured. Children to be treasured. In this passage where he goes from wives to husbands, he's talking about Christ in the church. And he said, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as the Lord Christ loves his church. Now, children, obey your parents in the Lord. I want you to understand there's a whole structure here. And this is based upon the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is in our life. And we're to recognize here that when Paul wrote this, there were children in the audience. He's addressing them. Second person plural here. Children, you guys, hey, obey your parents. How does God view children? They're valuable. Whether they are the kids that he gifted you biologically or the kids he gifted you through other relationships, they live in your home or you have continual contact with them, you're to raise them and release them. So even if you don't have kids yet, but you're going to have kids one day, again, understand the truth of God's word. The first is simply that they are a gift. This is based upon two two statements in Scripture. Children are a gift from the Lord. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a, is a reward. Now, let me mention this to you. It's important that you understand this. If you're a believer, you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been redeemed and you have been saved. Pay attention. Your kids aren't yours. They belong to God. He has gifted them to you to steward, to care, to protect, to guide, to raise, and the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord, and frankly, in favor with God and man. And so you recognize, yeah, this is my kid, and sometimes you feel like I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Sometimes you will feel like that, but you need to never lose sight of the fact that they are entrusted to you for a time, a reward for the, from the Lord. By the way, the Lord uses them to teach you and instruct you and to sanctify you and your own thoughts and attitude as well. And I always love the story in Mark chapter 10, the way it's recorded in Mark chapter 10, when the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated his value for children. The crowds were pressing on them. There were parents who were bringing their kids and kids trying to get up just to touch the Lord Jesus. And they wanted Jesus to bless their kids. And the disciples were basically saying, hey, get these kids out of here. God's busy. He's got a, God. Jesus is busy. He's got a lot of stuff to do. And, and Jesus, well, Mark chapter 10, verse 13, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Great word there. He was irritated. He was angry at the disciples. He said to them, you let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying hands on them. Now, I will tell you, my dad was a pretty strict disciplinarian. He gave a whole different definition to laying hands on. I'm just going to tell you that. But I want you to see what's taking place here. Jesus is embracing these kids. He's holding, he's blessing these kids. God loves kids. And they are entrusted to our care. Now, society often views children differently. Sometimes kids are viewed as a nuisance, obstacles, and even disposable. 
we have talked about in this congregation and from this pulpit before, and we will often, that there is a sin in our nation, <clears throat> a sin in our nation that is a national sin. And it is a sin that legally permits babies to be murdered in the womb. It's called abortion. Now, it's not, again, people ask, are you pro-life? Absolutely, I, I am pro-life in every aspect. And abortion is taking the life of a child. Matter of fact, I had a whole illustration I was going to use. I'm not going to use it right now. But I was looking at some of the, some of the um, arguments for, for pro-choice that came out in a report just a week ago or during this week as a result of what the South Carolina uh, Senate and Governor McMaster has done. There were people saying, well, I can't have kids now. They're going to mess up my life and my plans. I don't have the resources. I was going to go to school. They're a mistake. And so they have an abortion. There was a, a lady who said, no, I can't have an abortion because I don't want to mess up my body. You know what kids do to a woman's body? And placing her body, her body, over the body of her child, she had an abortion. There are those who simply say, listen, if it's inconvenient, this is a type of contraception. These kids are going to mess up my plans, the goals that I have for my life. And so rather than having them and putting them up for adoption or, or, or uh, uh, someone else to care for them, they put them to death. And some of you even may have had an abortion or encouraged one or carried someone to one. I want you to know that there is good news in the gospel, that grace covers a multitude of sins, that God makes all things new, that any sin and every sin confessed and repented of is removed and forgotten, and you can be restored in Christ. And grace changes our mind. It changes our perceptions. It changes our view of what's right and wrong in the world and how even God interacts with us in the world. And when we come to Christ, regardless of what's taking place, I want you to know, I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for every person and every circumstance and every need. Amen? How many of us have needed grace? I'm waiting on every hand. How many of us have needed grace? Brother, we all need grace the grace of God. But I will tell you, man, we need to stand for what's right in the public arena. Now, I'm going to take some time in June, and we're going to talk about when do you go to battle, and when, when is a winsome approach, and when is a confrontational approach appropriate when we engage culture. So I'm just putting that off. We'll put that on hold, make sure that you get news when that's coming up. But we need to celebrate when things happen politically and socially that are increasingly in alignment with God's Word. And in, in South Carolina recently, um, Governor Henry McMaster this past Thursday signed a bill into law called the Fetal Heartbeat and Protection from Abortion Act. Are you guys familiar with it? Are you glad about it? Oh, yes. It's such good things. It's such good news. It is such good news. And so we need to celebrate that. We don't need to be apologetic about that. Uh, what McMasters actually said in an interview, he said, This act is now law and will begin saving the lives of unborn children immediately. It's a great day for life in South Carolina, but the fight is not over. As a matter of fact, it's immediately challenged and will be challenged in court. So we need to continue to pray. But I want you to know something. Now, let me get away from this and just tell you children are not disposable, kids matter. Every 
life matters and should be cherished and cared for. And it is more than simply passing some legal act or, 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 or law, even though laws are good. And these laws need to be even more stringent for our culture and for our society. It is us as believers taking the responsibility to love kids as God would have us love kids and to come alongside of parents and families in the way that God would have us come alongside of parents and families for their good and for his glory. Amen. So it's good news. Kids are supposed to be treasured. Now, he starts this, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. When you are treasured, when you are a gift, you need to recognize as a child, you're not the boss. You're not in charge. One of our kids, calling no names, would occasionally say to child care workers, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. You ever heard that? You ever been told that? You ever felt that? Won't you understand what children experience? Same thing we experience. We experience what they experience is the human experience. Submission is difficult. But I want you to understand that when children are placed in your home and in your family by whatever means, whether it's through marriage, whether it's through adoption, whether it's biologically, whether whether you are lovingly accepting the responsibility for children who aren't even yours, but you're, you're, you're taking care of them. They're placed under an authority structure that is there to protect them, to be responsible for them, to nurture them, and to discipline and to train them. All right? Children are notoriously bad at making good decisions. Just ask any kid that likes chocolate. I'm not going to tell them the story. But <laughs> I know some stories of some kids who uh, got into food and candy and, 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 and didn't make good decisions. I've been there. How about you? Matter of fact, I'm there as an adult, to be perfectly honest. But we're there to be an authority, to instruct, to establish boundaries, to direct their paths. And so children are to learn obedience. You have to learn obedience. Obedience has to be taught. How do you develop obedient children? I want to tell you, you ought to just simply develop a lifestyle of obedience in the home. You ought to demonstrably and verbally say, we're doing this. We're going to thank God for our food because God commands us to be thankful and because we are genuinely thankful. And we're going to express those. And, and in all the little ways of life that you live, you ought to be continually communicating to your kids why you're doing it. We're doing it because God said to do it. We're doing it because this is what God's Word says. We're doing this because we love God and we want to please Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, the instructions that Moses gave in the second giving of the law to Israel was, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. He starts with our heart. He doesn't start with obedience. This is not simply behavior modification. I want my kids to do what I want them to do so that they're less of a pain for me to take care of. That's not the point. The point here is there is a love relationship with a heavenly father. And we're to love him. And because we love him, we obey. And then we teach this, both love 
and obedience to our children. Obedience is an aspect of love. He tells them here, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And if nothing else, don't you get diligence out of that? Don't you get hard work out of that? Don't you get constancy and consistency out of that? Love God and obey. Teach uh, diligently. Parenting is work. It is unceasing work. And I'm not talking about sitting your kids down and having a Bible study with them, even though that's a good thing to do, or sitting your kids down on a regular schedule having devotion with them, though I think you ought to be doing that. I think that is an excellent thing to do. And I had one one guy tell me, I tried that so many times, I I, I just lose the schedule. I'm like, just keep trying. Just keep trying. Every time you have a devotional, it's better than, than all those times that you didn't. You at least got it this time. Every time counts. But what we do is we love God. We teach discipline. We teach as we go through the day's experiences. As we go through the walk, as we live life with our kids and we model confession and we model obedience. I want to tell you something. There was a time when the advice to parents was you don't need to ever apologize to your kids. They need to simply respect your authority. I want to tell you, good parents, when they mess up and you're going to mess up, good parents, when they mess up, they own it and they apologize to their kids. They will say, what I said to you was wrong and the way I said it was wrong and I'm sorry and I ask you to forgive me. Maybe not I'm sorry. I was wrong. I own it. I ask you to forgive me. When you mess up, apologize. If you never apologize, you're setting yourself up as God. You mess up. You are under authority. And then you become authority. It's like Paul to Timothy. Live in such a way that your kids can imitate you and not embarrass you. Uh, when I was a little bitty kid, we were at Arm Baptist Church in Mississippi. Big town of Arm, A-R-M, Mississippi. It's close to Prentice, in case you don't know where that is. Dad was pastoring a church there. And uh, we were... Little kids, and of course, we had a TV. It was, a, it was an old RCA tube-type TV, and we got to watch TV on Saturdays and a couple other days during the week. But there was this commercial that had this little jingle, and it was a beer jingle. And then we watched uh, Daniel Boone. Are you guys familiar with uh, old Daniel Boone, Fess Parker, all that sort of stuff? Well, there was one episode where Daniel Boone's on a wagon, and he's, there's a drunk guy there, and the drunk guy's singing, rye whiskey, rye whiskey, rye whiskey, I cry. If I don't get rye whiskey, I surely will die. Okay? I don't know why that stuck in our heads, but every word of that song stuck in our heads. Dad had the deacons over for a meeting. And coming from the back of the house could be heard Mark and Marty singing to the top of their lungs, rye whiskey, rye whiskey, rye whiskey, I die. Uh, Your kids are going to embarrass you. I love what one of the teachers at Duncan Chapel sent home with one of our girls when they were there in elementary school. She said simply, I won't believe what they tell me about home if you don't believe what they tell me about, what they tell you about school. (laughs) But it's amazing. You never know what your kids are going to do. Here's the thing, though. Uh, we need to live in such a way that our lives glorify God. We need to be willing to own our sins. We need to be willing to confess and repent. And we need to establish a home that understands and models authority. And it's not easy. All of us miss the mark. All of us struggle with submission. And that's not news to us. None of us want to submit. It, it, it is God bringing us to the point of, 
of, of confession and repentance and surrender, complete surrender to him. You have to instruct your kids. You have to establish parameters. You have to train them to obey, not simply to please us but to make, or to make your life easier, but for their good, for their benefit, for their maturity. We're going to get to some very specific things. But I read this week about how toddlers think, and I thought, yeah, I remember those days, and I wanted to share those with you. How do toddlers think? If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm done uh, doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it just looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with it and you set it down, it's mine now. But if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> this is innate in us. And so we need to train children to obey. We need to do this in a couple of different ways. I want to mention these really quickly. You need to treasure your kids and celebrate and praise them, not simply for obedience, but for who they are. You know, you can love your kids when you discipline them, and you can communicate that love to them when you correct them. Do you know how to shepherd a child's heart? You guys familiar with that trip, shepherding a child's heart? It's great truth, and it's a great resource. Uh, we have copies of it here. I would certainly encourage you to get it. You treasure your kids, who they are, not simply good behavior. Treasure them even when you're correcting them. When you're correcting them, you explain. You are shepherding their heart. Out of the heart flows the wellspring of life. Sometimes it's okay to simply say, you must do this because I said so, and it's good and right. But many times, it's simply a missed opportunity. To speak truth and train the life of your kids. And then you must give appropriate consequences. You must give appropriate consequences to disobedience and rebellion. You're molding lives, preparing them for the future, for their future lives. Again, this has been heavily personally family-oriented, but I will share when Stephen was a, a young high schooler, we had gotten him some pretty neat gifts and I don't know what he had done, but he came walking down the hall one day when he was being disciplined for something. He said, y'all just give me nice stuff so you can take it away. <laughs> there needs to be appropriate discipline. There needs to be appropriate consequences. I will tell you one of the dangers that we have in homes and families today are no consequences for rebellion or disobedience. And the result is you have a lawless, thinking society, narcissistic, selfish approach to how they interact with people. It, like toddlers, if I see it, it's mine, so I'll just go take it. No respect. And so we teach obedience because we want kids to learn how to honor. Now, let me mention this quickly. He says in verse 4 of Ephesians, don't, and uh, verse 21 of, of Colossians 3, uh, don't provoke your child to anger. Do not provoke. Pro both passages, Ephesians and Colossians, contain the same exhortation. Don't provoke. Provoke is the kind of word you might use when you kindle a fire into flame. You begin with something small and you, you provoke it into a roaring fire. Or from a different perspective, is the, it's the kind of word you might use when you're playing with your kids and you start tickling them and chasing them. And what starts is just a little bit of fun escalates and escalates and escalates until they're wired up and they'll never go to bed. 
Here, of course, Paul is using this in a negative sense of stirring, exasperating, or irritating them toward anger or bitterness. Parents must not provoke their children to anger or to despair. You can be so hard on your kids and you can be so critical of your kids that they become discouraged. A discouraged child is one who has lost heart, so broken down that he lost hope or motivation. He doesn't really care anymore. One Bible translates the Colossians verse, lest he gets discouraged and quit trying. And the way that we provoke our children is to wrath really quickly. Sometimes we make demands that are arbitrary. We do this today and next week we do something else and something's permitted then and not. And there's inconsistency or unfairness. Maybe you never praise your children or take joy in them and just, just enjoy their presence, treasure them appropriately. Maybe you live hypocritically before them with higher expectations for them than for yourself. Do what I say, not what I do. Whatever the case, Paul does not want to see children of Christian families disciplined to such an extent that they lose heart, that they give up trying to please their parents. But there is an alternative, and the alternative is to bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The goal is not to beat the kids down, but to raise the kids up. The goal is not to take out their foundation, but to place them on the firm foundation. The goal is not simply to shut them down, but instead to shepherd them with nurture and tenderness. And you do it through appropriate boundaries, appropriate consequences, and love that is unconditional throughout. Amen? You can raise kids who have everything in this life, but miss God. The goal of Christian parenting is not to keep your kids happy. The goal of Christian parenting is to introduce your kids to the Lord Jesus Christ that he may make them holy. We'll talk about thriving. I'm going to jump ahead here. But he says you ought to honor your mom, mom, mother, and father. This is the first commandment with promise. We need to create kids who not only obey but who honor. We need to create a, a household. Uh, a home where honor, honoring one another is the norm. Husbands, you ought to honor your wives. Wives, you ought to honor your husbands. You ought to honor one another in the church, but children in those most intimate relationships in home where you're there day and night and all the experiences of life that you had, they've walked you through. You ought to honor your mother and father. Honor means to place high value on or to respect. Children who learn to respect their parents go farther in life because they learn to respect authority. They learn to be both under authority and when the time comes at age and maturity and opportunity, they learn how to exercise authority. They want, they are people that other people want to be with. And what if my parents aren't worthy of honor? What if my parents are just doing all these things you say don't do and not doing any of these things that you say do. As a child, under the umbrella of authority in your parents' household, listen to me, here's what you have to do. Here's what you're commanded to do. Here's what you're enabled to do by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're enabled to, you are able to respect them, even when they mess up. You're able to love them and hold them in high esteem, even when they do wrong, even when they stumble and when they fall. I remember the first time, that I, as a child, became aware of my own dad's struggles. And it was so eye-opening to me. Uh, as far as honor goes, 
Do you remember in, what is it, Second Peter, where, where Peter says that you love everyone and you honor everyone, including honoring the emperor? emperor? Nero was the emperor at that time. Uh, we, we, of course, are able to show respect and honor. Now, you don't want to, to, to follow into sin, but you're under the, uh, the umbrella of authority and responsibility and accountability. So, mom and dad, you're accountable for how and where you lead your kids. But kids, you're to value and appropriately respond respectfully to your parents. Uh, one of the best ways to do this, I think, well, a, a personal experience really quick. I used to work for an employer that was hard to get along with. You guys ever do that? Yeah. I used to work for a boss who was uh, a manipulator. He was deceitful. Uh, he was hypocritical. He was unfair. He had his favorites. Uh, and frankly, he was just mean. Y'all know any mean people? Uh, he, he was just mean. And I was in seminary at the time thinking, I'm supposed to be a good and godly man. And, buddy, it's all I can do not to punch this guy out on a regular basis. Or at least that was the, the emotions that just, he was big, so I probably wouldn't have. But that was the emotions that, that, that were raised up in me. And I was talking to my dad about it. And he said, son, you don't have a choice. Because the respect that you show him is not about him. The respect that you show him comes from the Lord. You are honoring God when you're able to demonstrate respect to a man who has not earned it through his behavior to you. And it doesn't mean that you kowtow, and it doesn't mean that you don't confront over issues, and it doesn't mean that you don't stand firm, but you know what happens to your attitude and your conversation and the way that you speak and even the way that you interact when you say, Father, this guy's a jerk, and he makes our work environment terrible, but he is my authority. And because you are my ultimate authority. I want to surrender my mouth to you. I'm going to surrender my thoughts to you, and I pray that you'll correct me when I'm thinking the wrong way. And I pray that I will be right with you in the way that I interact with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that relationship carries over kids and parents as well. And one of the best ways you can do that is to simply pray for your parents. How, many, how long has it been since you prayed for your parents, kids? Pray for your mom and dad, your grandma. Pray for them pretty regular. I strongly encourage you to do so. Your parents need your prayers. Matter of fact, I think your parents need to hear you praying for them. Susanna Wesley gave, and parents, you need to be praying for your kids. Susanna Wesley gave birth to 19 children. 19. Including John Wesley and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Methodist movement. You guys will be familiar with them. In her house, there was no place quiet enough to pray when she had a small house with a lot of kids but she was committed to praying for her kids so this is what she would do she would place a chair in the middle of the room sit in the chair and place a blanket over her <laughs> and tell the kids they couldn't touch the blanket and in that space that she created for herself she would pray for her kids we don't have many excuses for not praying for our kids. You ought to pray for your kids not only when you sit down to eat and not only right before they go to bed, at a minimum. But you ought to pray for them when they come to you with a scraped knee. You ought to pray for them when they're with you and when they're not. You ought to pray for them when they're having a struggle. When you make their beds or fold their clothes, when you're playing ball with them, when you go into their rooms when they're asleep, kneel next to their beds and pray over them. 
And you don't become a praying parent by default. It's not normal. It's not natural. You have to discipline yourself to it. You have to be intentional in your approach by design, by desire, by discipline. And it will take determination because Satan will give you every opportunity not to pray for your spouse, not to pray for your kids, not to pray for your parents. He'll do everything that he can to distract you. He'll bring something on the TV. You'll get a phone call. There'll be a texting. He'll do everything that he can to distract you. And you have to say, no, this time, now, we're going to set aside simply to pray. Prayers for your children are the greatest legacy you can leave. Instructions for your children. You know, we want children to thrive. Don't you want your children to be successful? Don't you want to be successful as a son or a daughter? Don't you want to just simply thrive? What is the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land? This is not a guarantee of riches and early retirement. What does it mean? It means you'll have the character that will lend you success is a very simple principle, the principle of sowing and reaping, or you get out what you put in. It speaks of the quality and the quantity of life. There is a way that life will go for children who become adults, who know that they are treasured, who have learned obedience, who have learned how to honor those in authority. They show respect for the people that they engage with. They do great on the job. They do healthy in their relationships. They become diligent and kind people. But I want you to know that real thriving is not measured financially. And real thriving is not measured by the size of your house or what you drive or the job that you have. Real thriving is measured by how close you're walking to God. I can't tell you how many parents I've sat with. And I'm talking about senior adults who have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You know what they pray for their kids and what they hope for their kids and what their biggest disappointments sometimes and their biggest joys at other times are in their kids? It's not how big a house they have. It's not how, how big an income they have. It's not, it's, it's not anything that passes away. It's that they know God. It's that they're walking in obedience to his word. We are to invest our lives so that our children can build their life on the Lord. Real thriving is building your life on Jesus. Think of Joseph. Think of Daniel. There are so many examples. But real thriving is walking with Jesus, building your life upon his love. His love that is the foundation for what we do. John the Apostle, writing to a church now, but I love it. He calls them technon, little children, my children. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. All right, all the perfect parents here, raise your hand. Listen, this stuff matters. We live in a society that largely, not universally, but largely devalues life and devalues children. We live in a society that is more narcissistic than it has ever been. You know what that means? It means when they walk past a the mirror, they stop and look for a long time. It means they're more interested in selfish desires, goals, and aims then they are certainly in glorifying God, or certainly in honoring and in respecting other people. The only hope for the world is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you don't know him, 
we would love to share with you how you can know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. This God who loved you, who designed you, who created you, who has given you life. He is a rescuer and a redeemer. And he longs to be your life. If you don't know him, let's talk. We would love to just open the scriptures and sit down and have a conversation and see what he has to say about life. For those of you who are in the throes of parenthood, stand fast, stand firm, treasure your kids, treasure your kids, establish a culture of obedience in your home, teach them respect. That God may be glorified in their lives. They're not yours. You're keeping them for a time as you send them out into whatever world they will be facing as they grow up. For those of us who neither have kids in the home nor have any now, you're part of a congregation that cares for children. We care about kids. How can you be involved in, in expressing the love of Christ faithfully to families that are hurting everywhere? Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your gentleness and your grace. I pray, Father, for this instruction, that children will obey their parents, that they will honor them in the Lord, for this is right as a commandment with promise. I pray, Father, for those of us who are parents, that we will not provoke our children to wrath or to despair, but rather we will instruct them in the discipline and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they may grow up into people who are holy, who are walking to you, who have a good life or a life that is built upon your truth here in this world, but that extends far beyond that into an eternity with you as their Savior. Father, give us the courage to stand against those who would abuse and harm and hurt children. Give us the strength to address those things, whether they be policies or politics, or whether they be the neighbor next door, or the friend that we're in contact with, where children are not being cared for, that we should appropriately and correctly engage ourselves with the concerns of others. Father, in all things, we pray that you'll be glorified. In your name I pray. Amen.